In order to retire successfully, you'll need vision. You'll also need a plan to execute that vision. Welcome to Retirement Pathfinder with Barbara Lane and Phil Gusky. On today's show, we'll give you the tools you need to navigate unique challenges you'll face in retirement. It's time to chart your financial future. Retirement Pathfinder starts now. Welcome into the Retirement Pathfinder alongside Phil and Barbara. I am Ben George. It's great to have you on here as we uh, really kind of get into 2020. We, you know, this is. Uh, one of the first podcasts of the year, and it's always exciting to get off to a, a quick start in the new year. And so I'm looking forward to talking with you guys again. Barbara, Phil, how are y'all? Good. How are you doing, Ben? Doing well. Doing hello, great. Hello to all of our listeners. Happy 2020. Yeah, for sure. It was a good year uh, last year, but we're looking forward to, to what's in store. It's already off to a busy start. Yes. Yes, it is. Yeah. Well, I'm excited about 2020. I'm excited about a new decade. Not so excited about our government raising taxes as of the first of the year, but we'll we'll talk about that this segment. Yeah, I mean that's kind of the big news I think early on, right? I mean I guess that's some conversations y'all have already been having with clients. Oh yeah, oh yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. It's going to affect quite a few of our clients actually. You know, especially the one with the stretch IRA change. So, what are the biggest things that people need to be aware of? I know we hear hear a lot about the Secure Act and and the changes that are happening, but what 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 do we need to most be paying attention to? Well, I like the way they say, uh, they call it a SECURE Act, which by the way stands for Setting Every Community Up for Retirement Enhancement Act. A couple changes that I'll go over and then there's one proposal. So the first one is we're changing the required minimum distribution age to 72 versus 70 and a half. So for one thing, it's easier to explain than 70 and a half. Now you're not required to take your first distribution until April 1st of the year following age 72. Um, You can continue to contribute to your IRAs now until that age. But if you are over 70 and a half and taking distributions, nothing's going to change for you. This rule is for people who have not yet begun to take the required minimum distributions. These rules are going to impact some much worse Mm, than others. But a couple of biggies, uh, qualified charitable deductions, they can still be taken at 70 and a half. And that's where you can take uh, your distribution, some or all of it. At this age now, it won't be required, but you can take your distribution at age 70 and a half, send all or a part of that right to your charity of choice, and then that won't be counted as taxable income for you. And this is also a good time to do Roth conversions because there are no rules from 59 and a half to 72 now. Those are some great planning opportunities. So that's the one rule change. And then the second is the stretch IRA is discontinued. So no non-spouse beneficiaries are required to have an IRA payout now within 10 years before it was over their lifetime, which was why it was called a stretch IRA. They could stretch out that tax burden over their lifetime. Now it has to be paid out. Those IRAs have to be paid out within 10 years. So it's a good reason to diversify with Roth IRAs. Those will be required also to be paid out in 10 years, but it's tax-free money to your kids or your grandkids. So Roth conversions now are a good idea for the right situation because it reduces your tax burden as the IRA owner, and it allows you to pay taxes at a lesser rate today. Let's face it, taxes are going to increase in the future. And by the way, Phil and I are just getting ready to teach a class next week at the local Northern Illinois University campus called Taxes in Retirement. We've been doing that now, what, for a couple, three years, Phil? Yeah, about that. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we have standing room only. So I think that there's a lot of people that believe taxes are going to increase in the future. And there is something that you can do about that now. But the last item is just a proposal for uh, life expectancy tables to change. 
that probably will take place. The last time the tables were updated was in 2002, and uh, that is for calculating your required minimum distributions. People are working longer. People are living longer. So this will be a plus for IRA owners because now you'll be required to take out less. So if this goes as planned with the new tables, they will be used for 2021 required minimum distributions. You know, Barb, uh, this uh, SECURE Act really kind of uh, snuck up on us. In fact, we heard rumors of it throughout the last year, but mm-hmm. I call it the Insecure Act because, you know, nothing is going to affect people's juices greater than <laughs> more taxes. And, and that's really what this was. And let me tell you what the trade-off was here. Yes, we can go ahead and we can expand the time period up to age 72 before we have to take our RMD, you know, 18 months longer, big deal, right? Yeah. Well, what was the, the trade-off? The trade-off is that now our kids are going to have to go ahead and pay the taxes within a 10-year period of time versus throughout their entire lifetime. That's huge. It's a mm-hmm. huge tax bonus for the government. So the SECURE Act really is a SECURE Act for the government more than it is for you and I. Well, you know, I have a saying, it goes like this, you know, within every cloud are the seeds of an equal or greater opportunity. So we turn around and we say, look, and this is on a case-by-case basis, it's possible for us to realize some real tax savings if we start doing some conversions now while the people are still, uh, you know, in either in the workforce or they've just retired and they're going to go ahead and do some conversions, either to, like Barb says, to Roth IRAs or even to just an investment account. Mm-hmm. Then the other, the other idea is that uh, a lot of our attorneys are putting in their trust the language that we can accommodate conversions within the trust for post-mortem planning. So once the parents have died, this goes on in trust for the kids, and they can have the opportunity to do some conversions. We have to be very careful here because the tax rates on conversions in a trust could be 37% versus maybe 22% with the parents. So this is on a case-by-case basis, but it gives us opportunity again to get in front of our clients to show them our expertise in the area of tax planning, show them how to save in spite of the fact that uh, they are losing some advantages. Yeah, if they change some of those accounts now and pay the taxes and just have that as a taxable investment, that might not be a bad idea for some because mm-hmm. you know then they're taxed at a capital gains rate, but then the kids, they'll also receive that step-up in basis. Sure. So that would be good. Yeah, that there's there's a lot of advantage there. So, I mean, there is a silver lining there in that cloud. Yeah. Well, it sounds like there's a lot of things to consider. And and I guess from what I've seen and, and read about this too, it really affects everybody too, right? I mean, it's not like you can point at somebody and say, oh, you don't have to worry about this. This doesn't affect you. It really impacts everybody. Yes. Yeah. Yep. It will impact everyone. So and now they just like Phil said, it's another 18 months before you have to take a distribution. But uh, the real kicker here is that stretch IRA being gone, having everything pay out in 10 years. Yeah. Well, yeah. make sure you reach out to Pathfinder Wealth Management. As you can tell, Barbara and Phil have uh, been paying close attention to this and already working with clients on these new changes. So if you're looking to kind of restructure or make adjustments to your retirement plan, which it appears you might need to do that, uh, sit down with them and uh, set up an appointment to go ahead and take care of that. You can find them online at pathfinderwealth.com. Also, you can call them at 815-399-9806. So that's a great opening uh, for the show. And I, we could probably go on a while about uh, the SECURE Act. But let's get into some mailbag questions today. And we got uh, four great ones that have come in. And let's start with Beth, who says, I could sell my house right now for $500,000, and I only owe about 100000 I'm only 57, but I'm thinking about selling it now, buying a much smaller place, and then using that extra cash to retire now. Is that a bad idea? 
Well, Beth, uh, let me address that. Before we can say whether it's a bad idea or a good idea, we really should probe more deeply. Uh, not may not be a bad time to retire. It may be a very good time for you to retire. However, we have to ask you a couple things. You take a look at the $400,000 that that particular sale is going to generate. Uh, first of all, if you're going to buy another house and you're going to downsize, which is not a bad idea for a lot of folks, how much of that $400,000 are you going to use? Well, let's assume you go and you live in an apartment. So Beth is in the apartment now. Maybe she's married. We don't know. That's the other part of this. We don't know. We don't know whether she's married or not. Well, let's say she's banked that money. She's got that money in investments, $400,000 free and clear. So think through this a minute. How much interest is she going to get on that money, Barb? What do you think? Four or 5% maybe? Yeah, I would say. Yeah, 5% maybe in stocks or bonds. So so it'll generate about $20,000 per year. Mm-hmm. Remember, Beth, you're not going to be able to reach into your Social Security account until you're 62. So the question is, can you get by on $20,000 per year, you know, apart from other investments? Hmm. So uh, the other question is, if you decide that you want to go ahead and buy another home, that only leaves you with a certain amount of money left. So, wow, we've got to ask some more questions. Well, we would feel more comfortable saying, yes, you know, Beth, this is a good idea provided you also have a retirement plan set up or a 401k plan from your present employer or personal investments that could generate together with the proceeds from the sale of this house enough income to meet your monthly expenses, meet those obligations in retirement. And by the way, they could be substantial. We've run across some of our clients here that retired early and their health care costs are astronomical. Some of the premiums that they're paying, Ben, are as high as $10,000 per year. Wow. Unreal. Yeah, they're really high. So our advice is go slow and let's look under the hood of your financial situation before you start up the retirement engine. Yeah, you know, I have uh, clients that are actually uh, still choosing to work because of health insurance. Oh, yes. Right. You know, what they pay outside of that group plan. But I kind of looked at that as the same as you did, Phil. And I looked at it as, yes, she is going to be buying another home, you know, downsizing, like she said. But I'm hoping that she has more than $400,000 to retire. I hope so. I (laughs) hope so. She's going to have to really do a reduction in her lifestyle if she doesn't. Well, and I think there's just too many unknowns with um, these questions. They're good questions, but um, we don't know her marital status, what she has in other retirement accounts. So the quote-unquote retirement question, it makes me a little bit nervous to answer with just a yes or no answer. There's a lot that goes into lifetime income. If you think about what it takes for us to create plans for people, I mean, it takes some time. It it takes us several hours to do that. Yeah, Yeah. whatever you don't know might hurt you. I mean, that's the the bottom line of this whole question. Yeah, no question. But it's a good starting point, Beth. So hopefully that kind of gives you a little idea of uh, what they would consider when uh, discussing that idea and that question. Our next one comes in from Dave. says, unless my company's entire board of directors gets in trouble for sexual harassment, which I guess is possible these days, I feel really confident about our future potential and growth. So how much company stock is too much to own in my 401k? That's a good question. Mm. Well, I wonder if he knows something about the board to make that comment. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Totally different discussion there. Yeah. That was kind of out there, wasn't it? But on the stock question, the typical rule of thumb is 5 to 10% of your portfolio in stock. So the number one rule is diversification. So um, given your 401k choices, diversify between as many asset classes as you have available with small companies, with large, with growth, value, both in U.S. and international, and your fixed income, you're going to need bonds. 
give us a call at 815-399-9806 and we'd be happy to go over your options with you and to help you choose the most diversified mix with what's available. Oftentimes what we see is that there's not a lot of availability with choices inside of 401k plans, but we can help you choose the best diversified mix with what you do have. Now, when you say you feel confident about the company's future and growth, remember you're always only going to know about what that company wants you to know about them as an employee. So do you remember Enron? Mm, Everyone remembers Enron. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it seemed like a great company to their employees too, I'm sure but no one knew what they were doing with the books behind the scenes. If they knew, their 401ks could have been saved by moving them out, for many employees anyways. So Enron was giving the appearance of a great company when in fact it was not. So diversify. Just remember to diversify, diversify, diversify is what we always say, uh, but no more than 10% to stock. Well, as I always say too, Barb, I mean, whatever you don't know may hurt you. And so the difficulty with uh, not knowing what's going on at the company in particular at the board of directors, is a danger. In fact, there are other things that the board of directors are being targeted for right now. They are moving targets. And we had uh, one company this weekend that announced locally here uh, that they're going to be joining another company on the East Coast and double the size of the company. Well, right away, we saw uh, articles come out on uh, Google where they're being investigated for lack of fiduciary duty to their shareholders and employees. So all of a sudden, they're, they're caught in the mix of of a liability issue right off the bat. So I'm sure they can overcome it, but that's the kind of thing that people don't know and they need to be aware of. So we have to understand that uh, there is a lot of opportunity for the board to be accused of breaching their fiduciary duty. And so when that happens, you don't know about it until it's announced and all of a sudden the stock price goes down and you may be the victim of that particular stock issue. We're not in the business to help our clients lose money. We want to try to help them retain their wealth and from there. And one of the best ways to retain your wealth is to diversify across the board, get out from underneath those large holdings in your old employer. Yeah, protect yourself. And that's what we try to do with our clients is just figure for the worst. Actually, when uh, I think that rule started coming out, when uh, Enron, this whole debacle with Enron years ago, that allowed you to withdraw money from your IRA, or excuse me, from your 401k before you retired, those in-service withdrawals because of all the people that had such large holdings to Enron stock. True. Yeah. That's exactly right. Yep. Yeah. And I think too, like no matter how good your company is and, I, and hopefully for Dave's sake, his company continues on the right path. But I mean, you think with the way technology has disrupted so many industries and I mean, you, you probably ask people at GE who, you know, where, where their stock would be headed when it was $60 15 years ago, and now it's down to 11. And that's a very strong, solid company. So it didn't even take a scandal to make your company yeah. head downward. Oh, so yeah, that's all great things to consider, Dave. So hopefully you will, uh, will do that. Our next question comes from Lisa. She writes, I'd really like to meet with a financial advisor, but my husband says we're fine handling our investments ourselves. Is it okay to do this without help? Yeah, yeah, Lisa, I, I'm with you on that. You know, our motto at Pathfinder is that we're holistic, we're fee-based, we're fiduciaries in our approach to cover a lot of topics. We don't do marriage counseling as part of our planning <laughs> option. Um, so <laughs> I'm with you. Yes, uh, a financial advisor, the right kind of financial advisor too, by the way, not just any anybody out on the street. One of the things we don't want to try to do is talk people into doing something that they're dead set against. And uh, doesn't work. Yeah, how do we know this? I mean, Barb, you and I have spent countless hours trying to convince other people that they need our help 
Well, you know, at that point, we're more concerned about their outcome than they are, right? So why should we be more concerned? Well, at the end of the session, what happens often is we get that, thank you, we'll think about this and get back to you, which is a polite way of saying, we're no done. thanks, no thanks. <laughs> uh, so here's a, an approach, Lisa, that I think would be less threatening and, and more genuinely helpful. People like to be educated. They want to learn new things uh, you know, in an atmosphere where they are not threatened. And so let us suggest to you that, that you and your husband both attend a financial course that mm-hmm. we do uh, that will teach you only commitment that you have to make is just the price of the class. And at that class, you'll get just pure financial education and not a sales pitch. It's very, very uh, non-threatening. It's very, very comfortable. Uh, we make people feel, we put them at ease. We don't uh, demand anything from them. We don't ask them that to make a commitment at that thing or try to sell them a product. However, I would also suggest that if you don't go as a couple, you will probably end up becoming frustrated because in all reality, the happiest couples are, are those where decisions are reached by consensus, aren't they, Barb? I mean, that's the thing. Yeah, we, and well, we have actually had a, a angels that are married come to our classes, and it's difficult for that spouse to go home and share with the other spouse what they learned and have them come in. Now, once in a while, it, it's, it's okay. Now, once in a while, it makes it works, but most often it doesn't. But what I have to just say, too, Lisa, is you both have to be on the same page with yes. wanting yep. professional help. <clears throat> mm-hmm. you know? I can understand the reluctance to meet with an advisor just because of the bad rap that financial advisors like attorneys have. But if you think you can meet your expenses as they increase every year by inflation, pay your taxes, have the money growing without unnecessary risk, unnecessary risk is the key word, and last for 30 plus years and know how long your money is going to last, and know what your estate value is, if anything at all, at the end of your life, then congratulations. Most people don't know how long their money will last. And if, if you're a do-it-yourselfer, you do have to know how long your money will last. Comfortable without a financial advisor's guidance, then what will she do if the husband predeceases her? So that's a, that's a question I would that's, have for them too. That's a real problem. Who checks out first? Usually it's the guys. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're the ones that uh, die off first. And so, you know, it's a division of labor. He handles what he does well outside on the job or whatever and handles the finances. Here's another danger, too. Really, anyone can accumulate funds during their employment if they're piling money into a, a 401k plan. You know, in fact, you're, you're hoping that markets go down so you can buy more shares, right? <laughs> so, I mean, you, yeah. So, but what they don't know is the the new dynamic that occurs after retirement, where now you've got 15, 20, 25, 30 years of life expectancy beyond retirement, and you've got a lot of traps out there that you're not even aware of. Make a slip up or you make a mistake. Wow, it can cost you and it may not recover uh, down the road. We still do require both to be at our meetings. Oh, absolutely. We almost refuse to talk to anybody today unless both are there because we're just kind of wasting, wasting their time, quite frankly. I mean, they can't possibly make a decision uh, unilaterally. Right. Well, I hope that uh, that helped you there, Lisa. But yeah, definitely be on the same page is of most importance when making any decisions, but especially with dealing with your finances. Our last question comes from Cliff, who writes, I told myself that once I had a million dollars in my portfolio that I'd move a lot of money to cash. But now that I'm at a million... I'm thinking I can get to maybe $1.2 million before I make that move. What do you think? <laughs> well, Cliff, is this money for retirement? <laughs> I, if it's a market timing decision, are you expecting a downturn in the market? I would never, we would never recommend that. 
And if you think a million dollars is enough to retire on, it may be, but it may not be. If you're young and wanting to preserve this, you still have to outpace inflation, which is at least 3% a year. And dollars seems like a lot. It may not be depending on your age and your retirement date. I'd have to know why, the question to begin with. And by the way, market timing does not, not, nor can anyone for that matter, predict the best or the worst days of the stock market. We actually did a study on this and found that if you miss the between five and 30 days in the stock market per year, it significantly reduces your return. But in 2018's rocky December, remember that? They went down in history as the worst month in stock market history, December 2018. Well, U.S. investors at that time pulled out $143 billion from the stock market. It was the biggest outflow ever recorded by Morningstar. Their timing couldn't have been worse. Then from Christmas of that year, Christmas 2018 through late January 2019, the S&P shot up nearly double digits in one month. So give us a call for the discussion. We'd need more information on why going to cash to begin with. I say leave cash for emergency money or if you're anticipating a large purchase soon. I actually had a client uh, came in about a month ago. Her and her husband are both late 50s and they're retiring. They're fortunate enough to be retiring, but they have a lot of the retirement dollars in CDs. So as I explained to her, if you're getting 2% on a CD and inflation is 3%, where you're already spending 1% of your money, let alone paying taxes on that and having to have that money grow for the next 30 years for your retirement, you have to be invested in the stock market. Yeah, I would, I would ask Cliff this question too, Barb. You know, how do you feel about going into an investment where you have a guaranteed loss? Well, that's what you have if you put your money in something that's going to give you less than an inflation rate. So when we ask our clients at seminars, at classes, across the table, why are you investing in the stock market? Typically, what is their response, Barb? To make money. To make more money. <laughs> yes. Well, okay. Well, why do you want to make more money? Well, we want to make more money because we want to keep up with the cost of goods and services going up. We know that inflation has always been with us, will always be with us. It's a guaranteed, guaranteed loss, really. And so people don't realize that that particular loss is a greater loss potential than what the stock market volatility could be. So we say, look, Cliff, if you don't want a guaranteed loss, don't put your money in cash. Put it back in the market and do it, allocate it safely according to our, our recipe approach, as we call it. And that way you, you keep up with inflation and actually can outpace inflation. Yeah, maybe something more conservative. Something more conservative, sure, mm-hmm. for sure. Well, we appreciate all the questions. Again, you know, these questions are great and we're able to really talk about some general strategies, but in order to really get a, a true answer for what your specific situation is, you got to reach out to Barbara and Phil over at Pathfinder Wealth Management, sit down, have a meeting, go through this. As they say, they can't just throw out, they don't come up with a plan in minutes. It takes hours to formulate that plan that works and just customized for your needs, and they can do that for you. You can find them online at pathfinderwealth.com. You can also call their office, 815-399-9806. They're there for the Rockford community. They want to help you out, both with the SECURE Act changes and with these questions you have. So, Barbara and Phil, uh, we appreciate that, and uh, hopefully these people will follow up with you guys and uh, get to more specifics. Yeah, thanks for listening. Mm That'll do it for us here on the Retirement Pathfinder. Make sure you subscribe. You'll have the next uh, episode delivered right to you. Plenty more to come and looking forward to 2020. So thanks for listening. For Phil and Barbara, I am Ben. Talk to you next time.
information is for illustrative purposes only and does not constitute tax, investment, or legal advice. Always consult with a qualified investment, legal, or tax professional before taking any action.